Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be able to open up God's Word with you all this morning. If you've got a Bible with you, if you've got a Bible on your phone or your device, turn with me to Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16. That's where we're reading from today. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16. Uh, And just while you do that, let me quickly recap where we're at in this series, and then we'll read together from Scripture. If you've been following along with us recently, you'll know that two Sundays ago, Stuart launched our Psalm 119 series, a series that we're aiming to return to probably throughout the month of August over the next few summers. Basically, the plan is to work through this Psalm in chronological order, one Sunday at a time. And this is a fairly ambitious plan because this is the longest Psalm in Scripture. It has been referred to as the Mount Everest of Psalms with 176 verses broken up into 22 different sections, sections that are otherwise known as stanzas. And so if we stick to the plan, we should theoretically be done with this series in 2027. So that's right, folks. It's only taken us one year to drive our brand new minister mad. But in essence, this entire psalm is an ode to God's Word. It emphasizes how important and life-giving God's Word is. Line after line, there is some mention of God's Word. But yet, while it's really repetitive, there is some uniqueness to it. It is like a diamond, a unique diamond. It's like a diamond because in every stanza, we are provided with a unique perspective on God's Word. Among many other things, the writer speaks of God's Holy Word as a living force creating transformation, as an object of worship, as a framework for justice, as a source of wisdom and discernment, as a set of upright commands, and most importantly, as an invitation to freedom and to blessing. Psalm 119 is a really interesting diamond in Scripture. And maybe you're here this morning and you quietly think to yourself that you've got the Bible all figured out, at least in principle anyway. Well, I guarantee that if you stick with us throughout this series, that you will find yourself experiencing some light bulb moments that will deeply speak to you. I certainly have as I've wrestled with this text all the way throughout this week. Psalm 119 is such an insightful, unique, and challenging diamond. And so in the big picture of our calendar year, our church calendar year, before we recommit to and relaunch ministry every September, we're going to return to this series as a means of recentering ourselves on God's Word in the small and the ordinary stuff of our own lives and in the bigger ministries that we're always trying to develop here in Carmoney. So hopefully that excites you and gives you an insight into where we're at and the heart behind this series. But on to today, let's read from God's Word. This is Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16. Title is Beth. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees and I will not 
neglect your word. And we end there giving thanks to God for his word and for how it still speaks to us today. As we journey through Psalm 119, one of the things that you will start to notice is that the writing has a unique ebb and flow, a back and forth movement that moves between personal reflection and praise and preaching and promises and prayer and pursuit. You're right, that's a lot of P's. Maybe you could call those the six P's of this Psalm, but it's really quite interesting. This is raw and honest and open writing. And I love that about Psalm 19 because we really can see that these are authentic moments of worship and prayer. And if we're honest, they're just like our own personal prayer lives and our thought processes and our meditations, which are for the most part back and forth and up and down and around the houses. They are rarely put together or perfectly linear. And in a nutshell, stanza two that we've just read and we're thinking about this morning, stanza two is a really honest prayer. It's a really honest prayer and a call to action, seemingly written by a young man. And there are two key images in it that we're going to think about today. Two key images. Number one, that God's word is a map that reorientates us. And number two, that we are to become a house of God's word. So if you're making notes, go ahead and write down the words map and house. That'll give you a structure. That's what we're thinking about today. So first up, let's think about this map image and its significance. God's word as a map. The writer opens this second stanza by saying, how can a young person stay on the path of purity by living according to your word. And then they say, do not let me stray from your commands. Notice the phrasing here, straying from the path, not staying on the path, excuse me, not straying, staying on the path, not straying. From the outset, the writer is reminding himself and is reminding us that there is a good and right path that God has set for each of us to live by and that God's word is the map that we use to stay on that path. The message translation of these verses crystallizes this image even more by reading as this, how can a young person live a clean life? By carefully reading the map of your word. I'm single-minded in pursuit of you. Don't let me miss the road signs you have posted. And then later in the Bible, Jesus' words in Matthew 7 go on to echo this. This is a cross-reference informing us that it's not just any old path that we are to try and stay on, but that it's a narrow path that is hard to stay on. Narrow is the road that leads to life. Only few find it. Jesus' own words the map of God's word that keeps us on the narrow path to life. From the beginning, the author is referring to God's word as a map. But why use this image? It's a really nice image, of course. But why is the writer referring to God's word in this way? Well, he uses this image because of his own experiences of being disorientated and of being lost. His own experiences of straying from the path and finding his way back to it. And this is really easy to miss from an initial skim read of the passage. What are the experiences that inform the use of the image here? What has been going on with the writer? 
Here we seem to have a young person who has struggled with moral failure and purity or who has watched others struggle in the same way. The likelihood is that it's both. This is really important to see. Why do I say that? Well, because of the admission and the question. Look back at verse 5 of Psalm 119. The admission here is this, Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. I.e., the writer is saying, I am struggling to follow your way, God. The writer is recognizing his own struggle to obey God. Then comes the question in verse 9 that we've just read. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? Please note here that the tone isn't light and breezy. This isn't someone who's merely pondering something that's conceptually interesting. Rather, the tone here is of deep, prayerful reflection. This admission and question are direct and heartfelt, birthed from real life experience. And think about it yourself. We rarely admit these types of things or ask these kinds of deep questions unless we have struggled with something ourselves or we have watched others struggle And here there is an experience of disorientation and of being lost, of straying off the path, particularly around purity, that is lying behind this map image. The next logical question is this. What might this struggle with purity have looked like? It's a good question. Well, generally speaking, issues of purity in Scripture revolve around two categories. Number one, sexual immorality, so the likes of lust or affairs or abuse, that kind of thing. And number two, a purity of heart, referring more so to your pursuit of godliness. That gives us some indication of what might be happening here. However, the writer's potential identity might also shed light on the struggle with impurity here. Overall, we can't be totally sure of who wrote Psalm 119. However, most commentators believe that it could have been written by four people, either David or Daniel or Ezra or Jeremiah. And despite not knowing exactly which one of them wrote it, we certainly can agree that each of these men would have faced significant temptation to sin and would have also watched on to impurity and disobedience among the people of God. So stay with me here. If David wrote this, then he absolutely knew what it was to feel around purity. Think about it. Among loads of other blunders, he committed adultery and essentially murdered someone. If Daniel wrote this, then he knew what it was to be tempted to abandon God's ways. He did, of course, end up in a lion's den for following God. Daniel was enslaved in Babylon where ideologues tried to get into conform to promiscuity and deviation from God's law. And not only that, but Daniel certainly would have witnessed the people of God fall into impurity whilst in Babylon. If Ezra wrote this psalm, then he would have experienced similar things whilst enslaved in Babylon as well. Moreover, he was part of the returning tribe of priests who came back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. He likely experienced temptation to give up in the area of purity and had definitely watched many of his people, especially religious leaders, feel miserably in following God's laws in the area of purity. And lastly, if Jeremiah wrote this, 
then he certainly would have been tempted to abandon God's ways and would have watched on to moral collapse among the Jewish people. Remember, Jeremiah was the ridiculed and mocked prophet of God who was writing back to the enslaved Jews in Babylon who had become like rebellious children and an unfaithful wife to God. All that to say, whoever wrote this, these men or perhaps someone else, they were asking this question about how to live purely because they had either personally failed themselves or had watched onto failure in this area. And so in reflecting upon these experiences of getting it wrong with purity, they say, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to God's word. In the midst of failure and disorientation, the writer is saying that God's word is the means by which we come back to and stay on the narrow path of purity. It harks back to the well-known idea of God's word being a lamp onto our feet. So what is the key message here? It is this. Because of our predisposition to sin and stray from the narrow path, God's word is a map that constantly reorientates us and sets us back in the right direction. As I was thinking about all of that and reflecting on it, it reminded me of our experiences of building IKEA furniture. Stupid, tiny, little Allen keys, cheap white MDF, sweat, frustration, and a whole load of petty, passive, aggressive arguments. IKEA self-build furniture. It is my nemesis. I don't know if that's the same for you. If you ever want to see me doubt my own spiritual growth, then you should watch me build IKEA furniture. It may end up looking good, but the build is always horrendous. And if you honestly like building that adult-sized Lego, then I should remind you that there's prayer ministry available after the service. It's awful. The build is always horrendous. And be really honest, what is the trap that we all often fall into when we build IKEA furniture that leaves us looking like this little stick man? We don't follow all of the instructions. We don't properly read the instructions. Be honest. You can raise a hand if you want to. We have all done this. We are bored. We're hangry. We're in a rush. We don't read all of the instructions properly. And then lo and behold, we get to the end and there's like a door that's hanging off its hinges or a drawer doesn't slide in properly or a supporting leg is barely attached. The finished product isn't right. And then what do we all do at that point? We swallow our pride. We go back and we read all of the instructions properly. In those moments, we need reorientation. That's kind of what is going on here in the opening of this second stanza. Like the author, we, for the most part, only start asking deep, reflective questions about our obedience when we have got something badly wrong or when we have watched other people get it very badly wrong. And it's only at that point that we go back to the instruction manual. Folks, God's word is a map that will consistently reorientate us throughout our lives. I wonder, have you ever thought about God's word as being like a map? It provides us with the correct way of viewing ourselves and of viewing the world. It instructs us on the right way to behave in every experience of life. 
And listen to me, if you are here this morning, if you are here and you feel a bit disorientated, maybe you feel anxious, maybe you failed in the area of purity, maybe you've watched others fail, maybe it's a job change or relational strain or mental ill health or just a really dry season of faith. Can I encourage you, like the psalmist is here, to run to the map of God's word and not to run away from it. Run to the map of God's word. God's word is the only thing that really brings us clarity. God's word is the only thing that brings us real assurance. God's word is the only voice that brings ultimate guidance and help. And God's word is the only reliable map that we have for reorientation in life. And in our really noisy, disorientating world, I think we need to be so acutely aware of that. In our globalized online information generation, there are so many pervasive ideologies that filter through the likes of politicians and world leaders and businesses and influencers and protesters and education systems. And these voices, they clamor for our attention and the ideologies that they are trying to communicate are subconsciously shaping us all of the time and they are trying to disorientate us and make us abandon God's map. And you might then ask, well, what are some of those ideologies and narratives? Well, here is a short list in the West. Consumerism, buying more stuff will sort out your problems. Live for holidays, live for houses, clothes, and luxuries. Order your life around stuff. This will make you happy. Hedonism, the pursuit of pleasure and indulgence will bring you fulfillment. Sexual promiscuity, overeating, lazing on the sofa, treat yourself, party really hard, get drunk, take drugs, pursue ease and pleasure above all else. Individualism, self-love, you are worth it. You are the most important thing. You are the best. Look out for number one. Prioritize yourself above everybody else. Do what you want, be who you want to be. Tribalism, find your tribe and stick to it. Don't branch out, hunker down together in like-minded echo chambers. Affirm everybody in the group and see everybody on the outside as a threat. Fall in line with the in crowd. Postmodernism and post-truth, there is no such thing as universal truth because there are an innumerable number of ways of viewing the world. So truth is simply subjective to the individual and it cannot be true for everyone. So you do you and I'll do me. You live your truth and I'll live mine and don't impose your truth on my truth. Agnosticism and new atheism. Well, there's a higher power, but we can't really know who or what that is. There isn't really a singular or definitive God as such, but perhaps a God in the form of moral frameworks and hierarchical value systems that we order our lives around. And I don't know about you, but in the face of all of that noise, which filters through all of our platforms, I feel a bit helpless and harassed. Don't you? It's so disorientating. And just like in Matthew 9, when Jesus was moved with compassion towards helpless and harassed crowds, God is moved with compassion towards you and me today and is calling us to run to the map of his word. We need to be reorientated in his direction. 
So what's the message from this first image, this map imagery in the opening lines of this psalm? God's word is a map that reorientates us in our disorientated world. It constantly redirects us, especially when we and when others get it wrong. It is the one thing, the one thing that we need to run back to for guidance and formation day after day. God's word is a map. But what about the second image then? The second image that we see is that of a house. A house. The first image has to do with understanding what God's word is. But the second image has to do with how we will engage with God's word. How will we go about using this map? Well, the author emphasizes that we need to each become a house of God's word. Much like being an indwelt temple of God's presence, the writer emphasizes that we each need to become a house of God's word if we are to stay on the path of purity. So let's think about the second image and its significance. As Stuart alluded to two weeks ago, each stanza and sentence in Psalm 119 has intentionally been given a letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And each letter emphasizes something important about the stanza. So stanza one is titled Aleph, the first word in the Hebrew alphabet. And Aleph means master. And so we thought about how God's word is our master and how we are blessed when we are choosing to walk in the master's way. Stanza one, Aleph, master. But here, stanza two is titled Beth. And I love this. Beth translates as house or place of And so throughout scripture, you will remember or be aware of places like this, Beth, Seda, house of mercy. Jesus heals a paralyzed man here. Beth, Seda, house of mercy, place of mercy. Beth, Lehem, house of bread. Jesus is the bread of life. This is the birthplace of Jesus. Or Beth, El, Bethel, house of God, where God met with Jacob. Beth. House, place of. This is a lovely image. And throughout the rest of this stanza, the writer emphasizes that we are each to become like a Beth, a house for God's word, so that we can use God's map and stay on the path of purity. This is brilliant because verses 11 to 16 kind of become the writer's preach to himself. Do you know those moments like where you have to go away and have a wee word with yourself? Do you know when you're being irrational and you're probably hangry and you're stressed and it's been a really bad day and your mind is everywhere and you kind of have to go away by yourself and tell yourself to wise up? That's kind of what happens next here in the second stanza. You know when the Holy Spirit prompts you to go and speak to someone about Jesus and you're like internally combusting, dying inside, like, no, I can't do that, Lord, but you're telling yourself, I have to do that. Or like when you have to go and serve in a ministry area and that's a real stretch for you. Or do you know when you have to go and pray for someone? It's that kind of moment, this internal monologue and preach to himself. The author preaches to himself about how we will practically become a house of God's word. And so we get loads of verbs in this next section and a kind of call to action. And practical people in the room, this is your section, so follow along. How do we become a house of God's word? How do we actually use God's map? Well, 
Let's do it this way. Verse 11, I have hidden your word in my heart, i.e., we have to take God's word seriously and allow it to sink in. Verse 12, we have to, praise be to you, Lord. We have to worship when we're in the word and give God thanks for it. The other part of verse 12, teach me your decrees. We have to humble ourselves and become students of the word. Verse 13, with my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. We have to take time to memorize and repeat, probably out loud, being honest, God's word. Verse 14, I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. We have to rejoice in the permanence of God's commandments and see them as one of our greatest assets. Verse 15, I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. We have to contemplate and wrestle with God's ways and reflect on his detailed care of our lives. And there's a cool word in there, precepts. Go ahead and highlight that. Look it up during the week. You can thank me for that later. Verse 16, I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. We have to learn, to learn to take joy in and to learn to prioritize God's story. I wonder how you're getting on with that as Christians. Honestly, I wonder which one of those in that list resonates with you. Maybe you should take a note of it now. My guess is that every single one of us in the room right now and listening in needs to have a wee word with ourselves today on something in that list. Not in a way of beating ourselves up, but actually in a kind of prayerful way of submitting again to God's Spirit as He so kindly calls us back to a love of His Word. And just one more thing on this. Notice how these are all personal practices. They're not really corporate practices. They're personal practices. The reality is that we can't always be together as a church family. The reality is we have to form personal discipline and endurance around God's word. We absolutely have to work at these things by ourselves as well as when we are together. And one of the really big dangers in the modern church right now is that we become dependent, overly dependent on, reliant on speakers and pastors and teachers to share God's word with us. Dr. John Andrews is a great theologian and a speaker from Belfast. He said this in an interview a few years ago when he was asked the question, what is one of the biggest concerns that you have about the church right now? His answer was simple, and it's stayed with me ever since. What's one of your biggest concerns about the church right now? Biblical illiteracy. Not money or footfall or buildings or strategy, or failures in leadership, biblical illiteracy. We are struggling to study and know the Word of God for ourselves. Some critical voices have even suggested that it's almost like we are reverting back to the medieval era, when crowds who couldn't read or write had to depend on literate clergy members to teach them the Bible in public places. And there's some really hard questions that this throws our way. Do we read and study God's word for ourselves? Or are we over-reliant on preachers of God's word? Think about it. Do you study the Bible properly at all during the week? Or is this the only moment that you hear God's word? 
staff and leaders of ministries, elders, key volunteers? Are you regularly in God's word for yourselves? Are we followers of scripture or are we more inclined to depend on the gifting of communicators instead? There is a subtle but real danger of idolatry in here. John Piper, John MacArthur, Pete Gregg, Nicky Gumbel, Pete Hughes, Matt Chandler, John Tyson, John Mark Comer, Stephen Furtick, and dare I say it, our very own Rick Hill or Dan Black or Stuart Hawthorne. Praise God for gifted communicators and praise God for how he speaks and works through them. But why depend on the communicator over the source? When real life stuff happens to me and I'm getting the diagnosis or I've just lost my job or I'm overwhelmed, I don't want a preacher. I want God's voice itself. I want God Him self. Listen, are Bible teachers essential and important? Absolutely. Is going to church and being part of a Bible-based community of students important? Yes, absolutely. Is being part of a small group where you openly wrestle with the stuff that you're reading about in God's Word every week, is that important? Yes, absolutely. But we also, and this is it, we also need to have the kind of personal devotion to the word that this psalmist is seeking desperately after. Our attention spans are short. We are increasingly conditioned to love short form content, not long or slow formation and learning. And what we know from broader church research evidence is this, We are struggling more and more to study and learn the Bible for ourselves in the private place. Yet our knowledge of and our personal devotion to God's word is absolutely imperative to our faith and our ability to truly love God and to truly stay on this narrow path. After all, the heart cannot love what the head does not know. This is so challenging. The heart cannot love what the head does not know. Or as Tozer put it, God is not the way that we say he is. He is the way the Bible says he is. We cannot really love and follow who we don't really know for ourselves. We won't stay on the path of purity without private devotion to the living word of God. To put it like this, if we don't know the word then we cannot really love the source. If we don't love the source, then we cannot really become like and follow him. If we don't become like and follow him, then we cannot really demonstrate him and share him. And if we cannot demonstrate and share him, then we cannot really fulfill the great commission. All of those things are intrinsically linked. God's calling on our lives is to glorify him and to build his kingdom. And we cannot really do that if we aren't immersed in his word in private. And so as I try to wrap all of this up from this really honest and open psalm, what is this second stanza getting at and telling us today? Well, firstly, it tells us that God's word is a map that reorientates us. God's word is the truth, and it is the only thing that is able to keep us on the path of purity. Secondly, it tells us that we, like the psalmist, are to earnestly desire to become a house of God's word, to wrestle with it, to prioritize it, to learn it, 
to be in it privately as well as in it corporately and to embody it more and more and more in our lives. And so just as I invite the guys back up and as we move to response, can I be really honest with you all this morning? I have been so convicted of all of this in my own life as I've prepared for this message. I've actually found this really exposing, wrestling with this text this week. I have realized that it's so easy for me to be a consumer of interesting Christian content. To hear it one time through a speaker or in a service, and then just to move on. I've realized that I often get things wrong in my life because I don't sit in the Word enough. Not for sermon prep, or event prep, or ministry prep. Not filtered through another person, but just me and the Lord in His Word. My love and devotion to his word is not where it should be. And I am a church leader. And so this psalmist experience has resonated so deeply with me. And I wonder, are you the same this morning? In these moments of conviction, when God's truth speaks to us in a really firm way, it's really easy to hear the accusing and the condemning voice of the enemy, isn't it? It's also really easy to hear the pragmatic try harder monologue that creeps into our rational thought rather than the affirming voice of the Holy Spirit. We can beat ourselves up and we can think that we have to just be more disciplined, but long-term discipline only comes from a renewed heart and mindset. And so I think that we need to pray for a renewed heart attitude towards God's word this morning, that we would see all of this stanza for what it really is, a loving, earnest invitation from our Father in heaven to spend more time hearing from him. God's heart is not that we would be burdened by religious duty. His heart is that we would be with him and listen to him and walk in his way, the good and right path for our lives. And he's near now by his spirit. Yes, exposing our sin, but also offering us forgiveness and offering us an opportunity for this renewed perspective of and fresh zeal for his word. And so in a moment, I'm gonna pray for us. And after that, you can keep your seats. Do things a little bit differently this morning. You can keep your seats as Lauren leads us in a song, which I think encapsulates this second stanza in Psalm 119. And while you're seated during that song, We love you just to take a few moments to reflect on where you are at this morning with God's word. Maybe you can close your eyes. Maybe you can hold out your hands. Maybe you can make a note in your phone. Whatever you need to do, just sit with what has been said this morning and be honest with yourself and be honest with him. Allow him to speak to you. And then after that, Lauren's gonna lead us into our last song. So let's pray. Let's pray before we take a few moments to wait and reflect. Lord God, we thank you so much for your word to us. Lord God, we thank you that we have this totally dependable map, this map, this unique, true, reliable, dependable map which guides us in every situation that we find ourselves in. Lord God, we thank you that your word is alive and that it speaks to us and that it transforms us for our good and the good of others and for your glory. 
And yet this morning we are so, so aware of how much we take your word for granted. That oftentimes we are apathetic in our devotion to your word. That often it is not the first place that we run to when we are disorientated and struggling. That so often we give space in our lives to voices that just make us more lost, more broken, more hurting, and more fragile. And so in these moments as we sit and as we wait on your spirit, we pause and we simply say sorry. We ask you to come and to continue to wrestle with us on this. So many of us here know that we are not with you enough and that we don't prioritize your voice enough in the private spaces of our lives, the ordinary stuff of our Monday through Saturday. So Holy Spirit, would you come now and make us a house of your word. Make us dissatisfied with our other disordered loves. Give us a desperation for you above all else. Come and reorientate those of us who have grown comfortable and accustomed to lost living and half-hearted devotion. Encourage those who have been lost to come back to the Father. Give us a deep longing for your voice above all other voices. Give us a renewed zeal for your word. Remind us of the power of your word. Restore us in your presence as we still ourselves and as we reflect on your word to each of us this morning. Come now as we reflect, as we listen to this song, as we wrestle with you. Lord, speak to us in the stillness. Speak to us in the quiet, for it is in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.